Welcome to the sermon podcast of Exodus Church, located in Belmont, North Carolina. For more information about our church and the many ways you can be involved, please go to our website at theexoduschurch.org or email us at info at theexoduschurch.org. Good morning, church. If you would, go ahead and turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 145. That's where we're going to land today. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm certainly glad to see you guys in person. And um, this is going to be our last sermon in a five-week sermon series in the book of Jonah. And over the last four weeks, we've been looking through the narrative of Jonah, specifically at the mystery of God's mercy as it's demonstrated both towards him as a rebellious prophet, towards a rebellious people in Nineveh, and then again as he struggled to embrace and surrender to God's mercy last week. One of the most interesting things about the book of Jonah is how the same reality can be experienced by different people in completely different ways and have a completely different response. It's actually one of the most fascinating things about human beings or just being a human, that two different people can experience the exact same thing and come to a completely different conclusion about what has happened. There's so many things happening in culture right now, and so many of them demand some kind of response, especially from leadership. People are wondering, what is the righteous response to racism, to unemployment, to the pandemic, to the coming election, to what are we going to do about school? All of these things, people are wondering, how do we respond? And I want to ask another important question, a much more important question is this, how do we respond to God's mercy? What is a righteous response to God's glory and to his mercy? How do we specifically respond to the king of the universe, his creation, his gospel? Because it is the same always. His truth, his reality, it's the same. And there's a various range of responses. And here's what I want you to know, that one day, all of us, every single person throughout all of history, all of humanity will respond to the glory of God in the same way. One day, the scriptures tell us that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So eventually, we're going to get to the same response. But it matters today if you'll do that before that day, or if that will be the first day of reckoning with a right response to God and his glory. And in just a moment, we're going to be in Psalm 145. And I want to continue to ask that question, how should we respond? Maybe some of you are wondering, how do we get to Psalm 145 when we're studying the life of Jonah? How do we get to the book of Psalms? Well, in the last chapter of Jonah that Brian preached on last week, this melancholy prophet gives vent to his anger, and his anger had within it a confession, a creed about who God is and how he works. And his response is contained in Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. God has been merciful to the people of Nineveh, and this is Jonah's response to God's mercy. And I want to put it on the screen and read it aloud to you before we get into Psalm 145. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That it's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster." And here's what I want you to see as a warning in the book of Jonah, in the life of Jonah, that you can know the right things about God. His creed was absolutely correct. 
This creed, this confession of who God is was correct. You can know the right things. You can even experience the things about God. He had experienced God's mercy and declared in chapter two that salvation belongs to our God. But your response to seeing God's character displayed can be either righteous or unrighteous. And I want to put in contrast to Jonah's unrighteous response to God's mercy, a righteous response that we see in the Psalms, specifically in Psalm 145. So I want to read it together and I want to invite you to pray with me as we read it, that God would reveal himself to us through his word. Starting in verse 8 of Psalm 145. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all, and his mercy is over all that he has made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power, to make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Let's pray together. Father, I ask today that your word would bring forth fruit, that it would create in us by your Holy Spirit, by your working of power, that we would respond in a way that is not according to our flesh, but it's according to your work in our lives. And so today, as we submit ourselves to your word and we raise up these truths about who you are and how we might respond to you, I pray that you would work these things out in our lives and that today we would receive the riches of your mercy and we would not only receive them, but we would respond to them in a way that results in praise, adoration, and in mission to declare your deeds to the world. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, in Psalm 145, I'm going to consider three things. And the first thing is this, that, that we must know and experience God mercy and God's mercy in order to respond to it. Then we're going to look at what a righteous response to God's mercy is. And then lastly, how do we become agents of God's mercy in the world? So first, let's consider what knowing and experiencing God's mercy looks like. In order for us to have a right response to God, it begins with knowing and experiencing the living God. You cannot have a righteous response to him without knowing him and experiencing him. So first, what does the psalmist declare to be true about our gods? Now, he, dis- he declares a lot of things in Psalm 145. But central to what he declares to be true about God is in verses 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he's made. And this verse is almost identical to the reason that Jonah is angry. That's why we land here. There's four descriptions of God made in Jonah's creed and in this confession here. They're in verse eight. First, that God is gracious, that he's full of grace, that he loves to give people things better than what they deserve. That's who he is. That's his character. Second, that he's merciful. He delights to give us something different than what we do deserve. If we deserve his justice and wrath, he delights to relieve that and give us mercy instead. He's slow to anger. He's patient. He isn't quick to anger. And I think it's really interesting that Jonah in his his anger is declaring, God, you're not angry. I'm, I'm angry about this and you're not. And he's abounding in steadfast love. That means that the core of God's identity is this. All four of these things. Brian mentioned last week that being merciful doesn't just describe how God acts, 
but it describes who he is. It's core to his character and glory. And so we have to know and have a right understanding of who God is in order to have a right response to him. It begins with God revealing himself through his word, through creation, through Jesus Christ. He's not defined by our experience of him, thank goodness. He defines himself, and then we get to respond to that in our experience when we see him working in that way in the world. So in Ephesians chapter two, it says that all of us are dead. He has to reveal himself. He has to bring us from death to life in order to know and experience him. And then we have to discover him. He doesn't just, we don't just make him up like we're writing a, a biography of somebody that we've never met. We get to know who he is through his word, through his character. And his works in the world are in accordance to his character. Not only is he declaring, this is who I am, we get to witness this is how he works. And the psalmist here not only declares these things to be true about God in order for us to know him, he also describes how we might cultivate an experience of these truths. For example, in verse 5, he says, We meditate on the glorious splendor of your majesty, on your wondrous works. I will meditate. So he's saying, I not only know these things to be true, I pause and take them in. It's a reorientation of our inner world around who God is and how he's declared himself to be. Meditation is something that's commanded all throughout God's word, specifically in the Psalms, over and over and over. It's a command and an invitation to respond to God's glory in taking pause. Now, there's lots of descriptions and lots of uh, uh, worldly explanations of meditation today. Lots of people are wanting to redeem this idea and make it something that it's not. Emptying our minds, or you've probably heard people talk about mindfulness. And all of these things are an attempt to take something that's biblical and make it something that, that's secular. The scriptures describe meditation as something where we don't empty ourselves, but we fill ourselves with the truth about who God is. And then we allow ourselves to ponder it, to think on these things, to pause and be still before the majesty of God and to consider what it means. And meditation is, is primary in what we call the spiritual disciplines of prayer and looking at the scriptures and praying and praising. And in all of these things, there's no guarantee that you will experience God, but all of the spiritual disciplines create a space for God to move in your life. And so the psalmist isn't just describing, here's what you need to know. He's saying, we also get to experience these things to be true through meditation, through prayer, through praise, through pausing and creating space in our lives to know God's goodness. And in that, we pursue God's presence. Above the progress of our own agenda, we pursue knowing and experiencing God. And that's the foundation to having a right response to, to him and who he is. The life of a believer has got to be grounded in clarity around who God is and then an understanding of how he works so that we might experience him in the world. So both of those things are key. And this creed that Jonah speaks and that the psalmist speaks of uh, that God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in love. I want to pause for a moment and just consider where does that creed come from? Because it's mentioned several times throughout the scriptures, almost identical. Nine different times it's spoken of where it declares those four things to be true about God, that he's gracious, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in love. And it begins in Exodus chapter 34. That's the first place that you see this creed. And over and over and over, people are responding to it. The first time that's a negative response is Jonah. The only time it's a negative response is Jonah. But in Exodus chapter 33, Moses cries out and says, I want to see your glory. I want to know who you are. 
And so God invites him to see and behold his glory. And he declares to him, I'm going to tell you my name. I'm going to tell you who I am. And this is what he declares in chapter 34, verse six. The Lord passed before him, that's Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Those are God's way of saying, this is my name. This is who I am. And Moses' response is to quickly bow his head towards the earth and worship. He experienced the glory of God and he left that place changed and transformed. He walked away from that experience. Listen, he didn't walk away like he had been to a good seminar on knowing some, a few good things about who God is. He left that experience transformed and other people were able to witness that this guy is different. It was transformative of him. And I want to consider not only what God's mercy is, but how does it look when we embrace it and surrender to it? Jonah, as this exception, he's obviously wrong in his response to God's mercy. He's looking at it and it makes him angry. Back in 2017, I don't know how many of you guys went to see the solar eclipse, like the total eclipse. You know what I'm talking about? I took my family over like a couple hours away. If you stayed here, let me tell you something. 98% is not an eclipse, okay? It might be a little dark, but when you get to total eclipse and it goes completely dark, it is eerie and wonderful and it, it, it provokes awe. And so we're sitting, we had, uh, we're in a boat in Western North Carolina on a lake and suddenly in the middle of the day, it goes completely dark, everything dark. And I'm like, kids, it's like a once in a lifetime experience. And suddenly there's some 17 year old on the bank of the, the shore over there, like shooting fireworks off and screaming and hooping and hollering. I'm like, what are you doing? You're ruining my moment. You know, this is like this once in a lifetime thing. And obviously their response to what was happening was inappropriate. Okay. And if I could have pulled them over, I would have told them. And, and in that moment, there's so much, it seems so obvious, right? Like what the right response was, just be still. Like, take it in. Don't do something. Just take it in. And sometimes when we experience and know the glory of God, sometimes our right response doesn't line up with who he is. And that's exactly what's happening with Jonah. The same is true for any of us who know God. Maybe we've even experienced his mercy, but that hasn't, that hasn't made us look more merciful. So what is a righteous response to God's mercy? I'm going to consider that for in a few ways. First, what does it look like personally and then relationally and missionally? What does those things look like when we fully embrace them? Last week, Brian concluded the sermon with this question. Have you surrendered to the mercy of God? Are we surrendered to his mercy? So I want to ask the question, what does that surrender look like when it's played out in our lives? What does it look like personally? First, it looks like us coming from a place of understanding to a place of humility. It's not just theological clarity or dead orthodoxy. It's biblical spirituality where we're walking and experiencing the glory of God and it's transforming the way that we interact in the world. It changes the way that we interact with him. I already said this through meditation and prayer and praise. It, it leaves no room for pride. There's absolutely no room for it. There's lots of people who may have an understanding of creator, God being creator, savior, even that he's glorious, but there's no weight about them because when you fully surrender to that glory, it changes the way that you look at him. It moves you from understanding to reverence. It moves you from pride to humble praise. Mercy, listen, it offends the proud. Anybody ever offered you forgiveness for something you felt like, I don't even know that that was that offensive, you know? <laughs> 
When we stand before God and he offers us mercy, there's something that it offends in us. It's our pride. It brings us low. And we need to see our our need for God's mercy in order to respond to it with humility. I love one of the songs, the hymns that we sing here, Jesus, I Come. Out of my bondage, sorrow, and night. Jesus, I come, Jesus, I come into thy freedom, gladness, and light. Jesus, I come to thee out of my sickness and into thy health, out of my wanting and into thy wealth, out of my sin and into thyself. Jesus, I come to thee. And receiving God's mercy looks like that. It moves us from understanding to humility, from from understanding to reverence, from our autonomy to surrender to him. Like we said in verse one that we declared together, he's our God and our King, and he reigns over all things. He's the one that we follow and obey above everyone else. We praise him humbly as Lord. And it moves us not only from uh, autonomy to surrender, but from entitlement to gratitude. Jonah's angry when his shade goes away. He's like, look, what are you doing? He's, He's angry when he feels the scorching wind. And he had experienced God's mercy. That's the part that feels so confusing. But when we receive God's mercy and surrender to it, it moves us from this place of pride to humility. It moves the way that we see others too. We don't see people as a list of good people and bad people. We're all just bad and God is good and it's either proud or humble people. That's the the sorting. Either you still are holding on to your pride or you're humble before him. That's the two options. It's not good or bad. And that changes the way that we relate to one another. It moves us from spiritual greed to generosity. Jonah didn't want to go. He didn't want to see God's mercy extended to his enemies. And the psalmist is not only receiving God's mercy, but declaring it to others. It changes the way that we see one another. Instead of seeing good people and bad people, we see proud or humble. It sees us where we're surrendered or not to Jesus Christ and his salvation. And it moves us not only as recipients of God's grace to the distributors of God's grace. And that's the last thing. God wants to transform us into agents of his mercy. One of the greatest mercies that God could show us is that he allows us to demonstrate and to declare his mercies to the world. That's one of the greatest mercies he could show us. And all throughout this psalm, verse four, it says, one generation are gonna commend your works to another. We declare your mighty acts. Verse six, we'll speak of the might of your awesome deeds and declare your greatness. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. They make known to the children of men your mighty deeds. In all of these ways, we get to demonstrate and to declare God's mercy. And there's a few ways that this happens. First, it it comes through personally receiving him as our merciful king. We declare to others what God is like in the way that we relate to him. This happens through confession and through transparency and accountability. If you're not in a community group where you're regularly confessing your sins, that's one of the ways that we get to declare God's mercy is by needing it in front of someone else. That's one of the ways that we do that. It's one of the ways that the gospel looks so beautiful is that we allow others to witness our need for it. I love 1 Timothy chapter 1 where Paul says this to Timothy, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus Christ, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost, but I received mercy for this reason that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. And then he just 
exalts God in praise to the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. So he's saying, look, my personal need for a savior, God's demonstration of patience with me is to declare his mercy to everyone who might see it, behold it and respond to him. That's one of the ways that we become agents of God's mercy is that we just need it in front of others so they can just see that we're needy people and that God's supply is great. Second way is that we, it changes our relational identity. We not only give, we're not just receivers of it, but we're givers, we're distributors of mercy. We get to declare God's glory to one another by needing forgiveness from one another and by giving it to one another. There's this story that Jesus told in the, in the gospels where he, he tells the story of a king who wants to settle his accounts with his people. And so he brings people that had debts with him before him and, he, and he's saying, you're gonna need to pay up. And there's one servant that he has that he brings in and he says, look, this is what you owe. And it is a great amount. And the servant says, there's no way. They're going to sell him and his family into slavery in order to repay the debt. And the man falls down before the king and begins to beg for mercy. He says, please pity me. And the king, in this miraculous move of grace, just forgives him of all of his debt and he's just relieved. But there's this troubling part of the story. That man goes out and finds someone else that owes him something. It's much less. It's just a fraction of what he owed the king. And he begins to demand it. And he's harsh. And the scriptures say that the people that were witnessing it, Jesus tells the story, they were distressed. They saw it and said, this is distressing. Listen, when you've received God's mercy, there's something really distressing when you don't see other people giving it to one another. It's distressing. So they go back to the king and he says, look, this guy's being harsh. You forgave him all of his debt. And this is what the king says to him. It's on the screen. Shouldn't you, I'm sorry, Matthew 18, And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And so I want to ask you this question before we move on to this. Is there anyone in your life who you are reluctant to show mercy to? Personally, maybe in your family, there's somebody that you just do not want to be merciful to maybe a sibling, maybe a parent, maybe a kid, maybe a, a, a distant relative. Maybe there's somebody that you haven't forgiven right now that you hold a grudge in your work. And so I want to ask you this question, has God's mercy made you merciful? Because he's not only in the business of giving his slow to anger to us and his mercy and graciousness. He's in the business of transforming us so that we look like him, that this creed would not only be how we describe him, but it's the way that we describe how he's working in the life of believers, that he's gracious and he lives in you. He's slow to anger and he lives in you. He's merciful and he lives in you. And that transforms not only how we respond to him, but it transforms the way we relate to one another. It is really hard to hold a grudge when you consider how much God has forgiven you for. It changes the way that we're missional in the world too. As I already mentioned in Psalm 145, it overarching, it says over and over, we declare these things from one generation to the next. We declare your mighty deeds to the people around us so that they might see and know and make known to them who God is and how he works. And so here's the conclusion. This knowledge and experience and response to God and his glory resulted in some type of purpose that the people of God owned in telling others about who he is and how he works. 
And the overarching message of Jonah is that God is merciful. And that as he showed his mercy, there was someone interacting with it that was reluctant to give it to others. And so today, are you receiving God's mercy in a way that makes you look at the world and see the brokenness and say, I want to declare to them this good thing that I've received in the gospel to the least and the last, the ones that do not know. There's a brokenness that the only response to is God and the gospel. And he's calling us and inviting us to declare his glory in this generation to the people who do not yet belong to him, to be agents of reconciliation, as it says in 2 Corinthians 5, that we would be him making his appeal through us to the world to be reconciled to him. And so I want to ask you and leave you this question. How are you responding to God's mercy today? Personally, are you approaching God's throne with confidence and humility that the work has been completed in Christ? Can you receive it based on the knowledge of who he is and on how he works and who he declares himself to be? Are you personally reconciled to God And then relationally, are you becoming more merciful like Jesus with the people around you? And lastly, are you you declaring God's mercy to the world around you? There's a few hurdles that might get in the way to this kind of proper response. First, you could be just in a place of spiritual pride. Maybe you concern yourself with the right beliefs and it's just become empty orthodoxy to you. So I want to ask you, when's the last time that you came to God so broken over his holiness and your sinfulness where you were just, there was no room for your human pride to stand before him? When's the last time when you were so needy of his grace that it made you so generous with others because you knew how much you needed it? One of the hurdles is spiritual greed. There's a way in which we love to receive something, but it's really hard for us to give the thing that we need. And lastly, the spiritual drift that just happens. It's like we drive a car that's out of alignment. You know, if you take your hand off the wheel, it's going to go in the ditch. The same way in our flesh, it's always going to move towards um, being unforgiving and bitter. When's the last time that God's holiness troubled you? One of the remedies to this is that we would just know and experience the Lord. It's not even that complex. Because when you see Jesus for who he is and you see yourself in your need for a savior, it changes the way that you interact with the gospel. So maybe, maybe you have never experienced God as savior. I would invite you to know him. Maybe there needs to be this Isaiah 6 moment where you see the king. There's a moment in Isaiah where he sees the glory of the Lord and he responds like this. He sees the temple filled with glory and he hears the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory and the foundations and the thresholds shook with the voice of him who called and was filled with smoke. And he says, what's his response? He says, woe is me, I'm lost. I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Maybe it's been a while for you since you You've seen the king of glory and responded to him with humility. Maybe you see the king of hosts and you're like, I am nervous that he would have mercy with me. Maybe you have a difficult time receiving God's rich mercy and you're cowering in fear. My prayer for you, I've prayed this for you, that you would know the richness of God's mercy today, that it will never run out because it's who he is. It's not some supply that goes up and down. It's who he is. And the more that's demanded of his mercy, the more he gets to display and demonstrate it towards you. He's rich in mercy. 
Maybe it's been a while since your heart has been tender to these things. And I, I want to read this quote from Thomas Goodwin in The Heart of Christ as a benediction to you. If your heart be hard, his mercies are tender. If your heart be dead, he has mercies to liven it. If you be sick, he has mercy to heal you. If you be sinful, he has mercies to sanctify and cleanse you. As large and as various are your wants, so large and various are his mercies. So we may come boldly to find grace and mercy to help us in time of need. A mercy for every need. All the mercies that are in his own heart, he's transplanted into several beds in the garden of the promises where they grow and he has abundance of variety of them suited to all the variety of the diseases of the soul. So whether you've been rebellious today and in need of God's mercy, he's for you, he's kind, and he's near. If you've been self-righteous like Jonah and thought God should be angry about the things that you're angry about, he's merciful, he's near, and he's righteous. And he invites you like the poor and needy beggar that we are to come and receive freely from his riches of grace. Maybe, on the other hand, your circumstances have felt very unimpressive when it comes to God's mercy. You look at your life and see the weight of bad decisions maybe that you've made made, or consequences of sin done to you, and you feel like, God, if this is your mercy, my life is really difficult. And here's what I want you to know. The evidence of God's mercy is not your life. It is not your circumstances, but it's Christ's life. It's his life offered up freely for you, beaten and rejected for your sins, misunderstood, abandoned. And in all those ways, he demonstrates God's mercy so much higher and greater and more clearly than your circumstances ever could. His mercy is not restrained. So relationally, I pray that we would become the most gracious people in our communities, in our homes, because we've received God's grace. Missionally, I pray that we would never lack the motivation to declare his good news to the world because we have received his good news. And my conclusion today is this, be warned with the warning of Jonah who believed the right things, who had even received the mercy of God and who responded to it demonstrated with anger and fear. May we not be like that. May we be transformed by it and receive it with his good grace and that it would come to full effect in our lives and be powerful in our community. Would you pray that with me? Father, I pray that today that you'd be glorified in this people, that we would be glad recipients and distributors of your mercy and glory in the world. I pray that you would leave us transformed by your power. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.